0: Non-compete to trade secrets, to confidentiality. Some of these might be difficult arguments for me. Employees may have some
1: real position here. As the employee, it's all about work mobility.
0: Suing a former employee. I would say I don't think that's fair. My five-year-old is actually pretty good about making that argument as well.
2: Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub.
0: All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is our 318th episode of Legally Sound Smart Business. It's a big milestone. 318, of course, is very well known to uh, be a, a, a pretty significant threshold. Once you pass that mark, you've, you've made it. So um, that, we're, we're very happy about that.
1: I think that's because my, my hometown area code is 317. So we've hit that and then now we're above right. that and we're, we're past all the
0: previous parts of my life. That's, that's precisely correct. And of course, 318th episode, uh, traditionally, we cover restrictive covenants. Um, that's the, uh, something that's been established for, for, for many years. And so 318, of course, um, you know, it's a, uh, restri- I should say restrictive covenants in general is something that uh, everyone's interested in. It covers everything from non-competes to trade secrets to confidentiality, you name it. And of course, in Legally Sound, Smart Business, we like to take different perspectives. And so today, we are going to split it up, Matt. One of us is going to take the employer's perspective, and the other one is going to take the employee's perspective. And you'll have to decide who makes the better argument, mm-hmm. if it is an argument, I guess. But we haven't yeah. decided who's going to which side to take yet. Oh, yeah. We, uh, flip, we have to flip a
1: coin, Right.
0: Yeah, that's so I. That's what I have here. <laughs> if you're watching via video, I have my quarter. And um, oh, is it a quarter? What is this? This is a quarter dollar. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I haven't seen one in a while. I suppose. Like, I I feel like I haven't even held a coin in like six years. No. And they still made this. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not true. <laughs> you don't know. I mean, like if I if someone tries to give me change, I just, I don't even touch it. Refuse it. So yeah. That's... I refuse it. Um, okay. So let me do some couple of practice rounds here. All right. Uh, so let's say, um, so should we just do like you call it if you say head, if like, if, if you get it right, then. Well, do you, do you have a preference or should we just do heads one way, tails the other?
1: Uh, I was going to do, I do have a preference, yes.
0: Okay, well, I don't know <laughs> if I really want to know your preference. I'm just going to do <laughs> heads. Heads, I'm going to take the employer side. Okay. And tails, I'll take the employee side. Okay. Or Yeah. So is that is that fair? Yeah. I feel well, like you it's... should have said that because uh, I'm... I, 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 I don't want to cheat.
1: Oh, well, I mean it's 50-50, so it's a. Wow, co- does oh, it's, it's a, a co- count. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hold on. Okay, ready? Heads, it is. So right. we have. So what does that mean? I forgot already. Um, <laughs> I'm the employer, right? Heads. Yes. We. Do. Well, very good. Okay, so so yeah, we're we're gonna cover all the various different restrictive covenants there there are. Um, Matt has volunteered to take the employee side, apparently, uh, by uh, a coin toss, and I will take the employer side and we'll, we'll break through each one and, and try to see how each party looks at this and the restrictions, what is enforceable, what's not enforceable. And let's start with our first topic, which is trade secrets. I think we should first start out by defining what is a trade secret, Matt. Matt. Yeah, well, and before I do that, I, I think the
1: interesting thing about this is going to be, I think there's, on the employer and employee sides, there's going to be very big shifts between the two. I, I think I'm going to win some, you're going to win some, but it's uh, it's really going to be dependent that's, on the respective
0: <laughs> Okay. Very doubtful.
1: It's going to be a clean sweep. Clean yeah. sweep, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, so let's we'll start off with trade secrets. So essentially in the the we get asked this question all the time. The, the way I like to describe it is by using it as an example and the example that I use most of the time is the recipe for Coca-Cola. So I, right. I don't know if, I don't know if it's still the case, but at one point in time it was very well documented that there was only two people within the company that had access to the recipe for Coca-Cola and they weren't allowed to fly on the same plane. I mean, not that there's a ton of plane crashes, but that was a, a real thing. <laughs> Just in case a plane went down and both of them were on it, no one would know what the recipe is at that point. I, and uh, I don't know. Th- Under that this... logic,
0: they shouldn't be in the same car either.
1: So. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so to, to kind of summarize it's, it's a, it's a, Information that is not disclosed publicly or to any outside party. And one of the key components is, it's in the name itself, is the secret aspect. I mean, it's once you disclose that, it loses that secret aspect of it and doesn't become a trade secret anymore. So you have to, you really have to be careful on who you disclose this information to. I mean, I I gave an example of a recipe, but there's other examples as well that you can put a du- uh, a bunch of different items under the definition of a trade secret you know as, but again the key is the disclosure piece because you know that's part of the definition of a trade secret
0: and and we want to distinguish a trade secret with other things like for example a patent or a copyright because those are things in order to maintain the enforceability you have to disclose what the invention is if it's a patent or what the actual work is if it's a copyright. And so obviously, if you want that protection and you're disclosing it, then it almost defeats the purpose of a trade secret because you don't want anyone to know. Um, Now, I'm sure you Google out there, people can have, uh, you know, backward engineered what the recipe of Coca-Cola is. But of course, what the actual subtleties and nuances of it all, I personally am a Pepsi fan, but that's just um, because I like the formula. So, um, I I actually did have a book
1: I I was given as a, as a kid who, and then it had a bunch of quote unquote, uh, secret recipes of Coca-Cola was in there and then a bunch of restaurants. But I mean, I don't know how, I mean, that was however many years ago, today's day and age, you can probably figure it out pretty quick if you really wanted to, but but you made a good point. It's, it's not like a trademark or a patent or a copyright, which you Publicly filed as public record. This is something that's literally, like I said, it's in the name itself. It's trade secret. So it's something that's kept not or something that's not disclosed to the public at all. Um, but you, you brought, you know, we've talked about Coca Cola. reminds me of a story I saw recently, a lawsuit actually. It dealt with Coca Cola, but not in the sense of the actual recipe itself. This didn't, to me, this was pretty interesting. It dealt with the actual lining of the cans. That were sold for Coca Cola. I think it, what's the, the BPA free? Am mm, I, yeah. I think, I, I think I'm getting that right, right? That's the,
0: I don't know what that stands for, but I know <laughs> I don't want it.
1: Yeah. Well, you see that with all the, uh, the water bottles and things of that nature. So I guess they expended some uh, significant amount of money. I think it was nine figures to develop this can that was BPA free obviously considered a trade secret because it was kept within the company. It was only disclosed to a handful of people. And then one of the employees, you know, obviously you can figure this out, but then disclose that information to another party. And it resulted in this lawsuit and um, basically uh, unauthorized disclosure of trade secrets.
0: Right. And as an employer, of course, like I want to make sure that anything we develop as a company or as our client's development as a business um, stays in the business, right? It, I'm sure that money to, that was spent to develop that technology and that on, on the know-how on how to do that, it took time, effort, and expense. And mm-hmm. our clients as an employer should reap the reward. Very simple. And so trade secrets need to be kept confidential.
1: Yeah. So at the, at the top, I said, some of these might be difficult arguments for me, but I have a pretty easy answer to this one. If okay. you don't, if you don't want me to disclose the trade secret, just never tell me in the first place. And then I have no possible way <laughs> of, of disclosing what those trade secrets are. Like in the example I gave with Coca-Cola, you know, if you don't show me how these BPA free cans are, are made and all the logistics behind it, I can't disclose it to an outside party because I just surely don't know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. But what if I need you? I mean, I'm hiring the employee to be part of the business. How do I keep them separate? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on what my, my role is as well, but you know, as an employee in general, I I mean, the reality is I think a lot, a lot you know, the majority, the vast majority of employees are never going to be privy to trade secrets of a company, but I'm looking at this from the perspective of, A high high up employee, and I guess you just never should have trusted me in disclosing that information as the employer. And now, going back to the other Coca Cola example, there's a reason there was only two employees in the company or two executives that were given that knowledge of what the recipe is because it's only a small amount that you can trust. Now I realize I'm also opening myself up to a lawsuit, so. That's not great, great for me, but all
0: all I know is I can't trust you.
1: Yeah, this this is the this is the hill I have to stand on as an employee. That you know, if you don't, if you don't want the trade secrets disclosed,
0: you just can't tell me. Also, is it really? I mean, sorry, I I know I got to stick to the employer, but I'm just trying to think a little bit. Well, an employee could argue, well, is it really a trade secret? And what, like, why why do we need to protect a trade secret? Um, what's the big deal? Because this is a free market. Okay, Coca Cola develops a product that doesn't have BHP or sorry BPA I <laughs> right. BPA BPA um,
1: BPA
0: BPA. Uh, and so that's great. Okay, so if everyone else learns from it, then that's good. Then we'll have always BPA free cans.
1: Yeah, no, there's uh there's definitely some benefit there and. In- that's part of how I see it as the employee. I, mean, I guess at the same time, it's... Uh, well, so l- let me look at it from the perspective of a, of a customer list, for example. It could be considered a trade secret. But at the same time, I-, I have to know who our customers are in order to do my job as the employee. And it's probably not that difficult to even figure out who those customers are. I mean, the, impl- the, the, the customer could disclose that information as well, so, as well. So are there truly even trade secrets in a lot of these examples? I would argue no. And it's easy to get out of those bounds of a trade secret.
0: Yeah, so and I, we should mention that you're, you're referencing customer list. A very common trade secret, at least from a company's perspective, is a customer list. And so the customer list of, let's say, Coca-Cola is a little bit different than the customer list, for example, of uh, another service-based industry. At the same time, even Coca-Cola's customer list could be considered a trade secret. For example, mm-hmm. if, if we developed a list of all the, I don't know, the head contacts of each of the sports stadiums in the country, and I know their phone number, I know who their what their email address is, and these are all the decision makers, for example, of each of these sports facilities on whether to carry Coke or Pepsi products at their facility. Now, obviously, what that list is, but what it's made of, it's okay, all sports facilities in the country, that's, anyone can do that, but um, actual specific names of the people that make these decisions, their phone numbers and email addresses and these kinds of things, this becomes confidential information or at least a trade secret, even if those individuals may be public knowledge, in the sense that by compiling it into a, you know, one location, the work that we put in to actually compile that list, now all of a sudden it has a little bit different value than just, you know, looking up someone's phone number online or, or email.
1: Yeah, not to speak to either way, but the, another big one would be pricing with companies as well. Um, and there's yep. very there's very specific instances of when an employer does, or a company doesn't want to know, want to have other parties know what their pricing is because they're particularly in the um, competing for different bids and things of that nature because they want to come in competitively and maybe that's their competitive edge over another company that's also bidding but as the employee i mean i would say i don't think that's fair from my perspective why <laughs> why can't i go By the way, no? I,
0: I do think saying it's not fair is the is probably the best argument you've made um I, my uh my my five-year-old is actually pretty good about making that yeah. argument as well so <laughs> um, uh, okay yeah <laughs> so let's go <laughs> i'm just making fun Let, let's go to um Non competes. Non competes. I. This is where I think employees may have some real position here. Uh, Non competes come in various forms, uh, and when it comes to the employer-employee context, it's usually okay upon termination or even during the employment. First of all, during employment, you can't work anywhere else but here. Okay, just a, a simple broad non compete, or you can't. Uh, work anywhere else competing with us. But most of these non-compete restrictive covenants that are applicable for conversation is post-employment. Within two years after termination, you are not to work anywhere, whether as an independent contractor or owning uh, an establishment that competes with our business within a hundred mile radius or within the entire United States. Uh, And it could be two years, it could be five years, it could be Forever, right? Um, these, are the, these are the options. Employers need to be able to restrict their employees from competing against them as soon as they're terminated. So this is, I mean, I
1: cleared my most difficult hurdle with the trade secrets. Uh, now, the, these are all going to be easy ones for me. This is probably the easiest one. The non-compete, as the employee, it's all about work mobility, meaning... So I, I, I can agree that what, during my employment, I shouldn't be competing with the company I'm working for. I think that's a fair ask. You um, better not be. <laughs> but post <laughs> but post employment, it's you know you you can't restrict the ability of me to work. So and just to follow up on what you were saying, typically we're talking about three different types of restrictions: geographical scope, um, duration, you know, number the time period restriction. And then the actual, what's considered a competing business. So all three of those together, it's just very difficult for me to, so I leave or get terminated, what have you. It's very difficult for me to find another job, if particularly if all I know is one set of skills and I'm not going to move and uproot my family and I'm not going to sit around and be unemployed for one, two, however many years. It's just not, I mean, that's
0: patently not fair to me as an employee. I. I like the idea of of hiring you for a month and then not allowing you <laughs> to work for the rest of your life. Um, that's, well, that, no, I think even in uh, I think even just in, in the te- United States, if you want to move move to a different country and do something else, so again, so long as it's not competitive, that that's fine. I know, um, but I was going to say, I think even in
1: Texas, that 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 even wouldn't even be perceived as reasonable, that, even even in Texas. Unfortunately,
0: even in Texas. <laughs> okay, so. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. So as an employer, depending upon where my employees are and what law applies, it governs whether non-competes are enforceable or not. And we like to generalize very simply. In California, you pretty much can't can't do them. I mean, it's in the, especially in the employer-employee context, um, there's pretty much no way around competing at you know there, there's some ability to restrict with confidentiality and trade secrets but again like if it gets too much into a non-compete kind of scenario then it's not going to be enforceable mm-hmm. so as an employer i'm just not going to employ anybody in california i'm leaving that state no problem so here i'm in texas um i look i i i spend money training these uh employees giving them access to, frankly, all this know-how and how to do things, how we run our business. And if I spend this time and money training them and then a year later, they just go off and start competing against me, then how am I supposed to run my business? And so reasonable restrictions, okay, I'll, I'll concede that it shouldn't be unlimited, but reasonable const- uh, restrictions should be allowed because, um Look, some of these employees, uh, we, we have to create a market that employers have an environment to be able to grow their business, and I want to be able to uh, be candid with my employees and and uh, and produce a great mm-hmm. product or service. And so, in order to do that, I have to have some protection. I, I
1: I can see the argument of don't take the money and run. Don't you know you you dump in a bunch of training and. I learn things. That's fine, but my argument would be: well, I mean, make it so. Give me an offer I can't refuse to leave. You know, if that's really, if that's really the concern. So, if I'm a key employee, shouldn't it be a situation where I would even want to leave. I would want to continue working for this company. So, if you present, right. if you present an employment that's not uh, up to, you know, not competitive, other similar lateral jobs. I should be free to leave and, and do whatever I want within the same space, within the same city, within the same, you know, or the, the day after I leave is, is how I view it. And I'm in California, so that's, I mean, like you said,
0: it's an easy, <laughs> it's a, yeah.
1: it's an easier argument.
0: So, I mean, it, there is some irony of a company asking for these kinds of restrictions to restrict their competitiveness when also, of course, it's the free market and, and competition that also creates an environment that allows us to, you know, operate as a business the way that, that we do. Right. And so there there is some irony, but at the same time, like look, if, you know, I'm in it for myself as a company, I'd want to restrict the competition as much as possible. And I think that this argument from an employer's perspective gets more and more stronger, more and more strong as you go up the latter in seniority of management and things like that. So, you know, we've seen we've seen non uh, non compete issues come in the news, especially when it comes to uh, lower level employees. Like I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember some of the things that we've come across, but like you know, every every everybody, all the big companies, everyone from Amazon to Jimmy John's and and these kinds of things have some kind of forms of non competes at, at in, in different states at different levels. But if you're restricting your so-called lowest level of employee, um, it, it does beg the question as an employer, okay, what is, the, what is the real benefit of restricting a sandwich maker from going from Jimmy John's to Subway, right? What is it that they're learning or getting trained on that somehow um, you're, you're losing out on? Whereas, if you hire some kind of marketing manager or someone at, that, um, at, at a critical part of your business, where if they were to move next door, start their own business or uh, start working for a competitor, the immediate result w- would be hurting your business. And that the immediate result would be everything that you've kind of invested in that, um, in that employee will come back to bite you, so to speak. And I think in, in, I think most people would agree that in those cases, there needs to be some restriction, which is why I think California takes too extreme of a position by prohibiting them altogether, even for... And that's why a lot of states, right? Even where states have uh, started to restrict non-competes, the, the prevailing compromise is that No non-competes below a certain wage earning, because and that makes sense to me. Because look, people need to make a living, but at a certain point, if you're a high wage earner, then the restrictions should be much more flexible. Right. I think it
1: was the um, I think it was Jimmy Johns who was in the news a couple years ago about (laughs) trying to restrict. I mean, it wasn't even. I don't think it was even managers. It was just the. You know, the, the day-to-day employees, the sandwich, quote-unquote, sandwich makers, they were restricting right. them from making – it was it was very broad. I forget how they defined it, but it was something like from, you know, making any sort of sandwich within this X-mile radius and, you know, I, I can see that argument. That's that's obviously ridiculous, but yeah. The, I can uh, see, you
0: know, you you the they get hired by a daycare. It's like, look, I can't make any of the kids yeah. sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. I can make them – That could arguably fall under that definition
1: by, you know, with how broad it was. But uh, (laughs) so Uh I I think as the employer, what you could, I I still disagree with you, but what you could lean on is going back to our first subject, trade secrets. I think you mentioned that confidentiality, um, you know, anything, things of that nature is what you're what you would lean on in these situations. But I mean, otherwise, there shouldn't be a real argument on why I can't leave a job and go work for another company that like I don't I I can leave your work at Pepsi since you're the big Pepsi fan and go work for Coca-Cola, you know. That shouldn't be allowed. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay, so so that's non-competes. Let's move to non-solicitation. Very similar to non-competes in that it is a post-employment you know restriction that is pretty common, right? Um, but similarly also has some of the same kind of restrictions that you would have in as non-competes. Like, so again, for example, California is is very limited on how you can um, implement non-solicitations. And um, so, well, why don't you give an example, Matt, of what? Yeah. So
1: there's, yeah. So there's a few different examples. So you you also, you know, we're we're talking about the employment context, but you also see, you'll typically see mutual non-solicitations you know, in B2B, business-to-business yeah. business, transactions as well. Of, uh, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any kind of, right. Any time a company, a business has access to the other company's employees. But, I mean, from the employment perspective, the concern is, you know, I'm the employee. I leave. I start my own company or maybe work for another company. I come back and then solicit the clients of my, my previous company or vendors or... Do we do or other employees I don't know if I forget if that was handled uh we're gonna talk about that later on but let's talk about the clients so I can't leave company A or this is what I'm being told I can't do. I can't leave Company A, go work for company B, and then go back to the clients of company A and try to get those clients to come over with me to company b that's that's the main uh, the main example, I think, of primary concern, but like I said, suppliers, vendors, other other parties are, can also fall under that non solicitation.
0: Yeah, and again, this uh, you see how each of these restrictive covenants um, kind of tie into each other, right? Because we talked about trade secrets with customer lists. We talked about non competes with, you know, an example I gave as mar- a marketing director, right? And here we're at non solicitations. You know, okay, if if i don't if i don't get my customer list if i don't get my non compete at the least from a non solicitation perspective if you leave the company you can't just go through your rolodex and start calling all my clients and asking them to to jump ship right um, you'll destroy my business and by hiring you i'm i'm the, the whole concept is that i'm giving you access to all these contacts and on on our company and our and our dime and for you to develop those relationships only to turn around and steal it from us, that's now that's not fair. I think this
1: is another easy one for me, to be honest. Um, you know, I, am the one that either brought these, if we're talking strictly from the customer standpoint, I'm the one that either brought this customer on for your, for the benefit of the employer, or I'm the one that cultivated that relationship with the customer so much so that I'm such an integral part of the company. You know, I, I was the the key personnel with this customer that, you know, if they want to work with me, that's fine. It doesn't matter who i what company I'm working under. They're choosing to work with me as the the employee. And it doesn't matter what company I'm with. So I should be able to keep my clients no matter where I go.
0: So I just thought of something. What I'm gonna do then if you're going to if, if you if we can if i can't have my non solicitation then i'm going to require my clients to not be allowed to do business with you which imagine uh, imagine that alternative asking my client like hey thanks for becoming a client um oh by the way like in case an employee leaves like you can't work with them and mm-hmm. imagine having that that and, and I, we, of course we've seen them and we've probably drafted them too but th- this is the kind of scenario that would happen if I'm not allowed to, you know, uh, prohibit former employees from soliciting my clients. Yeah. My, my,
1: so I agree with you. My, my view on that at the end of the day is it's, you know, at the end of the day, the, the client is going to work with whoever they want to work with. Um, you know, I don't, I think you would be very, that's true. I think you'd be very hard pressed to enforce anything like you're proposing. And, uh, you know, even in states that are more favorable, those sort of arguments. But, but, yeah, like I, you know, I was making the comment before about on the employee side. But I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's, you know, it's it's a responsibility of the employer to have that entire company relationship with a client, and not just one person who's the point of contact that that does everything. Because we've seen that so many times, right? Yeah. With clients, they, yeah. we've had they've had key employees leave. And then you know they they immediately get concerned that they're gonna lose clients, and they do sometimes. Just depends on the system you have in place as the employer to make sure that you know you don't lose those clients and you have to show that hey, this you you signed up for this team, not this one person that's not gonna be able to to handle everything for you by themselves. Cause we've seen that I I've been talking mostly from the perspective of going from company A to company B, but we've also seen it from the perspective of somebody leaving a company, starting their own operation. But, yep. you know, but which in, in this example, I, I definitely could do that because I'm a very good employee and I could be a business mm-hmm. owner, but on sometimes that's not always always the case. Cause employees that go off and start their own thing, don't, they don't have the systems in place. A lot of times, they don't know all the, the little things you need to do and, you know so it's easier said than done but not not for purposes of this argument cuz i can do all those things so
0: <laughs> yeah so i mean when it comes to non solicitations like we we've seen different scenarios where um even if you have an enforceable non solicitation it it I, can you imagine, like it, it's not it's not as easy even if it's enforceable to actually do it and go put yourself out there because you're talking about, just think, think of the prospect. You're talking about suing a former employee that is soliciting your possibly former or current clients, right? From your client's perspective, it's not, it's not good optics, right? Um, and so there is, so, but of course, a lot of these things, by the way, a lot of these restrictive covenants, sometimes just putting them as restrictive uh, covenants in the agreement or putting, having an agreement down in the first place is a deterrent factor, which is why, of course, certain states like California, even asking your employee to sign a non-compete can bring some legal issues and liability. Even if you know it's, it's not enforceable, asking them to do so or terminating them for refusing them to do so can have some significant consequences. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, uh, it's a tough world for us. And I was
1: gonna say we we have even we haven't even considered the concept of so we've done it strictly from me reaching out to the the clients the customers. But what if I leave and then you know there's a lot of gray area in there. It pr- could probably be its own episode by itself the customer somehow finds out about it and they reach out to me. Well, at that point, I'm not soliciting the customer. They they right. reach out to me. But we've seen a lot of different variations
0: of that, obviously. And yeah. <laughs> like, you know, a customer. So, or- I, I, we've seen it where it's like you get an auto response from the email saying, oh, I'm no longer with this employer. You can reach me now at, and is that solicitation or no? Right. right, right. Um, and also there's some industries where like everything from financial advisors or um even attorneys and these kind of professional services, where it is the expectation that when a key person leaves, that there's going to be certain clients that that go with that person, because I mean it's the nature of the business. The relationship is with individuals, not as a organization. That's you know that's not um, again that's just common. And 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 how practical is it to take away that non solicitation when as soon as that person leaves, your clients are probably going to Leave anyway, and so a lot of times those documents have to, you know, it's like okay, employee, uh, former employee, you can say certain things like I'm going this, but you can't, you know, you can't take any files with you, you can't disparage us, things like that that may um, that may give some kind of protections to the employer.
1: Yeah, I think the the financial advisor is a very good example. Um, another one that comes to mind is the mortgage industry. I don't know if they're, they're – I'm sure mm. they still are doing this, but you'll see lenders basically, you know, mm. they work for one company. They take their book of business and go to another one because they're actually given some sort of financial incentive to then pull their right. book of business over to um, – this other company and you know employers have to do a good job of saying like who's you know this is our company property things of that nature but again it's and it's easier said than done and at the end of the day if the customer wants to work with this one person they're going to work with them and if you know but again it depends on the services and industry and all that but yeah for front i think your financial advisor example was good it's like well, I'm not going to switch financial advisors if you're doing a good job like, and just go to somebody I don't know. So that's right. Yeah. Expectations. But in this case, um, you know, that's part of my argument is it's, I'm doing the good, I so, did all the good work, so I should be allowed to do it.
0: So that's non-solicitation of clients. And you alluded earlier, there's also the non-solicitation of vendors, of employees, of contractors, um, sometimes you can call them non-poaching agreements. Um, I, I suppose poaching vendors is probably not as much of a thing as of poaching employees. Uh, but what about that? We, we're handling it separately, right? I think a non-solicitation of a client is different than a non-solicitation of employees. And so even, sure. even California makes a distinction between that kind of restriction. No, you're, and you're
1: right. I, I think the vendor, supplier, other part, third party like that, it's... You know, unless there's some sort of exclusive relationship, I, it's, probably, it's not going to be a huge deal in my opinion. But the non-solicitation of employees, well, I don't think that should... I'm not going to be bound by that. I shouldn't have to because, I'll, you know, I can just go to LinkedIn and figure out where somebody works. Like, just because I was working with them before and knew that they worked there. And then, <laughs> you know, any recruiter can... I can find a recruit outside recruiter and have them reach out to whoever these employees are for the previous company. So I don't think that's very fair either. I mean, it goes back to the kind of the the non-compete aspect. It's worker mobility. Workers should be employees should be able to have freedom with where they want to work. If they want to leave and go somewhere else, they should be allowed to do that. If I help them out,
0: so be it. So, okay, fine. I hear you. (laughs) but <laughs> i feel like i'm actually actually arguing but not really okay so um uh, if you've been in business for a while you you all know the incredible negative effects that one bad apple can have on the culture of the office and um and and off, and, and, and okay so no one's perfect but Even in cases where the employer is outstanding, a bad apple can ruin a workforce, ruin a staff, ruin a department, and just bring everything down. Now, imagine that bad apple not only does that, but then leaves and starts poaching these employees from you. The damage just gets exasperated. And and they were only able to do that because of this negative energy that they brought to the department. They brought everything down, they leave, they start poaching. It's not like they earn, so-called earn the right to be able to extract employees that they're coming from a third-party recruiter and stuff like that. They've, they've developed these relationships. They've used that time um, at, at the company to basically um, you know, damage our, our our name in front of the employees. And so therefore, we need to have some kind of restriction that's enforceable to prohibit that from going on. And that's yeah. also a matter of of fairness, you know? Yeah, I think the
1: example the example I could agree to, um, and we had to talk about it, I guess. I just wasn't even planned, is Michael Scott Paper Company. I mean, he's right. he's the manager, Dunder Mifflin. He puts in his notice and then he openly starts soliciting every almost every employee there trying to get him to work for his new business obviously while he's still employed (laughs) yeah actually that that was well so that's the example that's what made me think of it i can get behind the example of the employees that i mean it's we've had examples even worse than that we've had people that have even put in their notice but they know they're going to leave the company and they start recruiting other employees within the company and say hey i'm going to go i'm either going to start my own business or go here I, I would like to take you with you, I, you know, take you with me. I, you know, is that something you'd be interested in? And they're kind of, I, I, it's hard for me to, I draw the line there. I can't make that argument from the employee's perspective, but if I leave and I want to reach out to somebody that I'd known for X amount of years, cause I know they're a good employee, I should still be allowed to do that. And again, going back to what I said earlier, if you can't offer as an employer, if you can't offer uh, competitive, Pay, benefits, culture, you know, location, what have you? Then it's just fair competition.
0: Hey, I'm just gonna fire everybody. Let's make it easy. <laughs> well, all right. Let's. Ho- hopefully, if you're not solicitations the- for the clients. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the last one. Now, this one, I mean, I, I this has to be a uh, a slam dunk for, for the employer and that's confidentiality, okay? Um, I, I'm going to talk about this in the perspective of the attorney-client privilege because it's a, it's a perspective that we're very familiar with, um, and so hopefully I can uh, have you empathize with that from, from your perspective. So an attorney has a legal bound, or uh, I should say an attorney has, is legally bound to Protect the confidential information or any communications, frankly, that a client gives to his attorney, his or her attorney. And the reason why that is a very uh, closely held restriction covenant for the between the attorney and client is that you want to make sure that the client is completely comfortable and being candid in all the information that they may have so that the attorney could represent the client properly, right? That's the whole concept. And, and it works out very well because that way, if a client comes and, I, you know, comes and tells you, I have a dead body in my trunk, even to that extent, that kind of communication is protected, right? And, but that allows the attorney to say, okay, well, you've committed a crime, assuming that you caused that dead body, Let's figure out what to do next, right? And, and, and of course, you know, as attorneys, we have these conversations with clients, we want them to be candid with us. So now what's my point of all this? There's a similar kind of, it's not the same between an attorney and client, but there's a similar concept of between employer and employee. If I'm gonna run a business, um, in order to be successful, there needs to be some level of trust between that employer and employee. And in order to build that trust, there needs to be a restriction of exposing confidential information um, to at least in a reasonable extent. And by hiring that person, exposing them to this information, I don't wanna again be be bit. As soon as I terminate that employee, that employee goes off and and discloses all my so-called skeletons in the closet. Because remember, Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has things that they don't want other people to know, their competitors, the public, the customers. And, there, and, and that is, there's nothing wrong about that, right? I mean, there's, like, when I, I can draw a line when it comes to confidentiality if the employer is doing something illegal and the employee is so-called whistleblowing, right? That's a different issue compared to like, hey, um, uh, I, I don't know what's an example of a confidential information that I don't want anyone to know.
1: Can't think I'm, uh,
0: I'm an open well, book.
1: Well, this this plays into my argument. It sounds like you don't even have any confidential information. What, <laughs> what's even what's even considered confidential if you don't even know anything that is? Oh, I, shoot, I would argue. I, w- I would argue as the employee that you know there's nothing that's even confidential because it's all stuff that any other company can find out if they really wanted to. Well, damn
0: it,
2: Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well so example. let me
1: let me say the one the one thing i i can get behind as the employee um or sorry hold on no i can't no i've lost my train of thought oh okay sorry i flipped it so the i think from to me there's varying levels of confidentiality and particularly in california um, this was under the uh, Silence No More Act, but initially there was certain issues of sexual harassment that were able to be considered "quote unquote" confidential. Um, in, in when an employee leaves, but they have since expanded that to include any forms of harassment or discrimination based on a protected class. Now, I think I this think this is even for California, right? You, for California, correct. Um, I think you, as the employer, you can even agree that that. Is fair and reasonable that any that's not going to be considered confidential that there was some sort of workplace uh, harassment or discrimination on any sort of protected class level. I think we can at least agree on that, right? Well,
0: okay. So here's the employer argument. I mean, look, just because there's allegations, and even if the employer decides to settle, and even if, okay, the employer Maybe someone in the company acted inappropriately. Okay, the damaging effects that that could have if that went public is far greater. By the way, this is the argument. I'm <laughs> give me some leeway here. Uh, this slam is the dunk. argument that an employer this would. Is a, this is, this is <laughs> that, your
1: slam dunk case.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is my, uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, so. So the damage from just the kind of thought that, "Oh, this, this company had a sexual harassment issue, right?" It, it's, it's, it's a scarlet letter in itself, right? Um, that you know, people make some assumptions of what happened, which may or may not be true. And, and also, frankly, it's like the, there are many instances. It doesn't mean that there's a, a, a majority or minority, but there are many, where employees make allegations. That are not true. And of course, as business corporate attorneys, we encounter this all the time. And of course, there's always two sides of a story, but I'll tell you that um, regardless, it's it it the employees in many states have a lot of power to really mess with small businesses, right? And on one hand, there's 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 valid protections for employees, but a bad actor employer should be punished, but similarly, a bad actor employee often can take advantage of the system itself and cause the employer legal fees, et cetera. And so my point is, is that by keeping that confidential um, under, the, under this new law, that in itself can, can have some uh, further harm to bad actors that are employees or former employees. Hmm.
1: So it sounds like you're trying to suppress uh allegations made. <laughs> so I don't think like your I slam that- your slam dunk's not gonna win. I think you you miss people don't often miss the slam dunk, but I think you clanked it off the back you clanked it off the back of the rim, flew right, right up in the air, I, unfortunately.
0: I guarantee you if I attempted a slam dunk right now, I'd definitely not <laughs> do well. Even if the rim was lower. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so that, thats I, what I meant know, by that. I'll, I'll,
1: I'll give you a little bit of leeway. I mean, my so I can agree to confidentiality in general. I mean, I I think that's a fair ask. Like you said, from the employer's perspective, they have to trust the employees. There should be some form of trust. There some some loyalty between employee and employer going both ways. And so you know, obviously, the employer is going to have to. There's information that the employee is going to become privy to. It's going to be important for the employer to have that information, or the sorry, the employee to have that information so they can make the employer uh, more productive and grow over time. So I, in theory, I can get behind it, although that your, your blanket attempt to not allow me as the employee to disclose anything that you want to consider confidential does not seem fair uh, at all. No, that's...
0: Uh... That's a fair point, and you know as as you develop these agreements and these definitions of confidential information, um you start to see you know how you can narrow or broaden the definition because I think okay there there may be a category or box, okay, if there's if we're talking about the California law when it comes to harassment and these kinds of things that okay are not considered confidential information, but on the other hand, if there are things like, hey, I plan to enter into this geographic market next quarter and my employee leaves and then tells the world before I even attempted to do that. Or I always negotiate these kinds of contracts with this vendor and this is how I do it. Um, and the reason I'm able to do this is because I use this this other um, vendor over here to compete against them. What, I mean, to uh, put them against each other, all these different kinds of nuances that are in any business after over time, those things should be kept confidential because that information can be hugely detrimental and I'll, and I'll, I'll have an unfair advantage or a disadvantage, I should say, because if that employee goes to another company, divulges that confidential information, it's not like I'm getting the same back. It's not like it's an open market where this information is being freely flowed to everybody. I'm, I'm getting disadvantaged by hiring that employee, that, frankly, that bad actor that wants to share all my secrets.
1: No, and, you know, and, and those, were, those were good examples. And I you know one scenario we haven't discussed, which I think is a good argument for the employer, would be the situation of the employee gains confidential information of a client or a customer of the employer because a lot of times there's going to be confidentiality terms within whatever contract right. the employer has of this client. And oftentimes as well, at least we usually recommend it, or I always do at least, the employer is going to be liable for breach of those non-disclosure terms of confidential, confidential information as a result of its employees. So I think that's the, I think that's Definitely fair from the employer's perspective of, hey, look, I'm putting myself. We're we're putting ourselves on the line for you. We're we're liable for breach of non-disclosure terms by you as an employee. You can't be going out there and disclosing that information of these third parties, i.e., our clients. You know, I I think that's fair. The rest, I think, I easily won. I actually threw it off the backboard to myself and did a three sixty slam dunk.
0: So I'm I'm trying to figure out a sport analogy. I don't know if there one exists. I, like in fact, the closest one I can think of is uh, Quidditch and Harry Potter, which of course is fictitious. Which is, I I have a secret argument that I've been saving up that will trump everything. And so, like, isn't there in Quidditch like you get the ball in the hole and then basically it's hundred points, which basically, I I never saw the movies. i I've, I've never seen any I've of ever. the. I, I am going to get some hate mail from Harry Potter fans, I'm sure. So okay, here, here's what I've been saving. Um, this applies to all restrictive covenants that we've, we've discussed. In this country, we have what are called what is called the freedom of contract. right? It is an inherent right given under our constitution that if two parties agree to terms, then that is an enforceable agreement. And it is not the so-called business with anyone else to tell us otherwise. And in this case, if I hire an employee under certain terms that they can't divulge trade secrets, that they can't divulge confidential information, that they can't compete against me, that they can't solicit my clients, my customers, my vendors, my employees, and they agree to work with us under those conditions, it should be enforceable. If they don't want to agree, then they don't have to work with us. That's fine. well, I mean yeah, I think that I, I think we've each
1: presented uh good to decent arguments depending on who you're viewing, so yeah we definitely want to know we definitely want to know what the the listeners think as well, we had a fun time uh you know the last time we did this at California v Texas, obviously this time too, or, you know we're we're pushing our bounds on what we uh May believe or advise our clients at, at certain times, but hopefully it was a, a fun experience for the listener.
0: Yeah, uh, it reminds me of um, it, it reminds me of the, what's going on right now with the great resignation, kind of this anti-work movement a little bit, the, you know, to kind of take off my employer hat. There's definite conversations that have been going on in the last two years. Um, when it comes to these kinds of things, have definitely started to move legislation in certain ways, you know. And I mm-hmm. we talked about the non compete law. Just in the last, I don't know, three to five years, multiple states have restricted non competes to low wage workers. And to be frank, that kind of restriction it makes sense. It's a good compromise. And I think there's other things like that with the California law with it comes to Harassment when it comes to uh, uh, prohibiting companies from hiding these kinds of things that are going on in their in, in their company, especially if it's pervasive, they're, they're, it makes sense to not allow them to hide those things. Now, did California go a little too far? Probably, there might be a balance in between, and we'll see how other states kind of deal with those issues. Um, yeah. But that's one really cool thing about, um, frankly, our country, and in that each state is different. It 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 matches to at least it's supposed to, you know, to each population, the different kinds of cultures there. Like uh, we, we talk about California versus Texas all the time, and in Texas, obviously here is it's much different um, than it is in California as it as it applies to these things. And and other states have some have their own color of how they how they deal with it. Right? No, that's and that's that's all very true. It's uh,
1: I mean, for the challenge for us is figuring out what states everybody's in and guiding them on the laws accordingly. Cause like you said, it's two things. Once All, the rules are different in every state or they can be. And then two, it's ever evolving, slowly shifting towards, uh, well, some States slowly, some States more or quicker yeah. or shifting towards the employee yeah. side of, you know, employee. Cause like you said, the great res I think the great resignation reference was, was apt because it's you know there's been clearly been a shift in the last year or so of kind of employer versus employee control i mean at the end of the day employers ultimately are the ones running things but employees are getting are gaining more uh more say more control more freedom obviously too so it's definitely something that you just have to if if you're an employer something you just have to keep in mind all the time it's not going to change
0: Well, on that note, thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, That'll finish up our episode. Make sure you follow us on social media. We cover not only big topics like these, but we also give uh, different legal updates throughout the week. And so definitely follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and um, listen to us on Spotify.
1: Very good. Uh, Yeah. And as always, keep it sound, keep it smart.
2: You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up to date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice But rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney the opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business this podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients reenactment of scenes and persons which are not actual or authentic and depictions which are a dramatization